In the month of December, a really great thing happened here at this church. People who give generously, financially to this church, gave more. We, we have people who give every single week and support the work that God is doing in this church. And in addition to that, we have a capital campaign right now that we're, we're in the middle of and we're purchasing property and renovating it very near here just on this next block over. And so people gave to that as well in December. And also, we raised $51,000 to, uh, to, to make some meals to be distributed all throughout the Richmond metro area to kids in schools and different places uh, where, the, where there's uh, a great need. And so we were able to get together, and a lot of you were there two weekends ago, we were able to get together and package 40,000 meals uh, over, the, over the course of a day with 785 volunteers. And it was an incredible thing to be a part of, really cool to see how God brought all the resources and the people and the time and the money and the energy and a lot of people investing together in the community. And to me, I think it really illustrates the idea of like collective impact, like together we can do more than any one of us could. Like, if we're going to count on my wallet to, like, make meals for people, it's like, we're not going to give them any meals. Like, we're just, it's not, it's just, I don't have that much. Or you or any one of us, right? But when we all pool our time, energy, and our resources together, we can do things together that we could never accomplish on our own. And there's something incredible about that. We can, we can win together when we win. We win together. When we celebrate, we celebrate together. When we soar, we soar together. When we lose, we can lose together and we can help each other out. There's, there's something very powerful about this idea of collective impact. And I think just maybe a simple way to say it is like this. We're better when we're together. We're, we're better in a, a community. In fact, our bodies were designed for that kind of community and that kind of connection that, that we're supposed to come together and, and, and help each other. I read a book, I think it was about two years ago, the book's called What Your Body Knows About God. And it looks at different things in science about your body and talks about its connection to God and, and, and how it might point you to God. And one of the things it talked about, which was really interesting, said that, that your skin has two types of nerve receptors. One is a nerve receptor that tells you like functionally what to do. So your skin knows, like as you're typing on a keyboard, you, you can feel and you know, okay, this is typing or, or this is sewing or, or that kind of thing. Like it, it helps you that way. But there's another kind of receptor in your skin that goes directly to the social part of your brain. And, it, and, it, and it's designed to enhance connection that you have with other people. They did a study where they asked people, they said, we're going to give you 10 emotions like emotions like sympathy, joy, disgust, fear, whatever. They gave them like a list of 10 and they said, we're asking people, we're going to blindfold you. So they blindfold these people and they say, someone's going to touch you on the arm. And when they touch you on the arm, they're going to communicate one of those emotions just by touching. They're not going to say anything. And then you need to tell us what emotion you think they're communicating. And 50 to 85% of the time, they got it right. They were able to identify the emotion just by touch which is really quite remarkable and says something that God designed us to, to connect. And when we're not doing that, we're missing out on something. That means if you're not a hugger, sorry. Some of you are like, not huggers, you know, and you're like, I don't want to hugger. No, there's something, there's something valuable there. There's something valuable just about the touch and the connection that, that does something for you, does something for other people. Uh, there, there, there's a power there in that whole thing. And God designed it to be that way. We, we've been in this series called ROI, talking return on investments, and we're looking at investments that we make of our time, money, energy, and, and where we're pouring out our lives, because where we're pouring out our, our love, that's where we're, we're pouring out our life, and where we, 
and our life really is made up of these investments that we make. And so two weeks ago, we said, look, God has invested in you, and there's no greater investment you could make in 2018 than to invest deeply into your relationship with him. He's already made the first move towards you. And if you reciprocate and follow after him, that will change everything you do. That will change more than any other decision you could make this year. So we talked about that two weeks ago, and then last week we said, Jesus modeled the way of servanthood, that we're to serve other people. And if you would take a posture of service, not just a gesture, not just a one-time event, check it off, I'm done serving people, but if you take a posture of servanthood, that will change things. That will move the needle for you, and you'll see a return on that in your life. And today I want to talk about just relationships generally, and in getting invested in the community of faith and how if you will invest in other people, there's going to be some incredible returns and benefits that come back to you in doing that. And so to look at that, I want to look at a letter that a guy named Paul, who was a missionary who started churches in the, in, in the first century, he started churches around the Mediterranean, and he started one in a region known as Galatia. Galatia is central Turkey, modern-day central Turkey. I was actually there last year in April, and I was sitting there in the hotel, and I flipped through my Bible, and I came to the maps in the back, and I was looking at the maps, and I was like, oh, we're in Galatia right now. I didn't even know that. Like, it's in the Bible, and I'm, like, sitting there right now. Like, the city we were in, Ankara, is not in the Bible, but it was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, this is the region. So this area of central Turkey, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to them. It's called Galatians in the New Testament. And like many of Paul's letters, he starts out, usually in the first half of his letters, and we're going to go through one of his whole letters, Colossians, starting in February. But in his letters, he will, what he'll typically do is, is tell people who they are in Christ. He'll give them identity. He'll talk about identity issues with them and say, this is who you are. This is who God made you to be. This is what God has poured out into you. And then the last half of the letter, he'll say, so here's what you do with that. Here's some application. Here is the return you're going to get on, on that identity. God has poured into you. Here's the return on that. And so in the last part of Galatians, in chapter 6, he talks about what it looks like in the body of Christ to, to, to be a family and what some of the returns we can expect from that. So I want to jump into that. Galatians, starting with chapter 6, we'll read verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted." All right, one of the big payoffs, one of the returns we get on investing in the community, in, in the biblical community, and in getting to know other people in the church, is that it helps you keep on track when you're tempted to wander off. All of us are tempted to wander off. We all blow it. We all go down a stupid road. We think stupid things. We, we do some stupid things. All of us have that tendency. And if you're sitting there saying, Chris, speak for yourself, I don't do that. You totally do. And you just lied. Like, you totally do. You have a tendency to blow it also. And so one of the values of the community is that there's people there in the church who are going to, like, help you along the way. That are going to say, whoa, like, you're going way off. Like, hey, come, come on back. Welcome back. Like, and, and they're going to help to um, restore you. And one of the values of being in a small group at the church is that you're going to get to know a community of people, maybe 10, 12 people, and they're going to walk with you. And, and they're going to help you when you are tempted to wander off. Because our culture is full of all sorts of temptations to wander off in our thinking, in our, in our behavior. Like there's all sorts of roads we can go down. And the value of the group is that it can and help you and it can gently restore you when, when you wander. That is one of the greatest strengths of a church. And if we're honest, I think this is one of the greatest things people get terrified about the church. They go, man, I don't want to go to church. Some of you are probably like that even walking in this room today. You're probably like... Oh boy, like what if they find out 
this X about me? What if they know this thing about me? I don't want to get involved because I don't want them to know that about me. I don't, I don't want to put any of my stuff out there. I don't want anyone to know about my sin. Now, we may not say it that way. We don't say, I don't want people to know my sin. Here's what we say. We say things like, oh, I don't want to bother you with my troubles. Like, I don't, you know, I, you're, you've got enough stuff going on in your own life. I don't want to burden you with my stuff, right, which is a way of keeping people at a distance. It's, it sounds good. It sounds like you're doing something good, but the reality is there's probably a lot of pride there and and you don't want to be found out. Or, or, or we say things like, man, I don't want to judge anyone. I don't want any judging me. And I get that. Jesus told us not to judge. But also the community of faith is called to challenge and gently restore one another. I'll tell you, some of the greatest and most painful times for me have come when, when people who know me well and love me can say, hey, Chris, you're, you're messing up. Like, this is an area in which you're blowing it. And I got to tell you, when you sit across the table from someone and they tell you how you're blowing it, it does not feel good. Um, I, I, I get opportunities. It feels like more often than I'd like, I get opportunities to have that conversation where someone is pointing out to me, you know, an area that I've, that I've messed up. Um, but I've always experienced that there is growth that comes on the other side of, of that stuff. Now, what I've seen in the church, this church and, and other churches, what I've seen is that if someone is blowing it um, and, and, and someone in the community sort of finds that out, if you reach out to that person and they like don't return your phone calls, don't return your emails, and they drop off the radar, that's probably a good sign that they know they're blowing it too and they don't want to talk. Um, I've seen that kind of thing. I've seen people run and hide, and, and truthfully, that's not new to us. People have been running and hiding because of their sins since the Garden of Eden. This is what we do. We're ashamed. We want to hide. I don't want you to know. I don't want you to, you stay over there with your stuff. I'll stay here with my stuff. We will not meet in the middle. We're not going to talk about it ever, ever, ever. Let's just keep it all nice and surfacy. And that, and that doesn't actually help you or I to, to grow. So Paul says, hey, look, if somebody wanders off, restore them gently. There's supposed to be a gentle restoration there. There, is, there isn't supposed to be brut, brutal honesty where it's like all brutality with a little bit of honesty thrown in. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to restore gently, to walk along and say, man, I'm, I know you're going through this thing. I, I want to walk with you. Um, and we're supposed to lovingly correct. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We cannot just put our heads in the sand and say, I'm okay, you're okay, and let's pretend like nothing's ever wrong. We're called to help those who wander if we're going to be real about a community that we're in. So number one, the community can help you when you're tempted to wander off. Number two can be seen in Galatians 6, the next verse. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of the values of the community is that it helps you to bear the heavy burdens. Not the day-to-day stuff, okay? There's plenty of day-to-day stuff that you need to bear on your own probably, you know, job performance or how you're doing maybe with some things at home or in, at school getting grades and, and these sort of things. They're sort of your day-to-day relationships and stuff that you're working on that you need to carry. But life has a way of dealing out some really heavy things. And when that boulder falls on top of you, Paul says someone's supposed to come alongside you and help you carry it and just be like stand next to you and be like, man, I, I know that's heavy. Let's walk with this together. So when you want to be pregnant and you're not, when you don't want to be pregnant and you are, when there's infidelity, when there's cheating, when you get laid off, when someone close to you dies, when there's brokenness all around you, when the heavy stuff hits, the call from Christ on us is to bear that, 
to walk alongside and say, man, this is heavy right now. This is, this is extraordinary. Let me, let me walk through that thing with you. Now, Paul says, when you do that, when you bear one another's burdens, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. And I, I read that. I was like, what is the law of Christ? What does he mean when he says that? Um, so I Googled that. Um, just wanted you to know that that's a legitimate a way of looking something up, <laughs> even in the Bible. Like I, I was like, okay, who, what, are people, what are different sources and what are they saying about that? And then I looked at some commentary stuff that I had. And here's what I, here's what I found. There's sort of two ways of looking at this. One is to say that when Paul says that bearing one another's burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ, he's referring back to when, when, when Jesus said, I'm going to give you a law. It's in John 13. Listen to what he says. He told his disciples this. He said, a new commandment or law I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus comes along and says, I know there's lots of laws. I know there's lots of rules. There's the thou shalt, thou shalt not, all of that stuff. Let me, let me just boil it down here for you. You're called to love each other. This is what you need to be known by. This is the heart of the things. Why we say love beyond reason at this church. You're called to love one another. That's the, that's, that's the thing. That's the heart. And Paul says, when you bear one another's burdens, you're loving one another. You're fulfilling the thing that Jesus asked you to do. You're, you're being loving, you're acting in a loving way to, towards your neighbor when you carry that burden with them. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that when, when it says, uh, you're, carry one another's burdens, and in doing so, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ can also be translated in Greek. It could be translated as the pattern of Christ. And so what Paul's saying is, in 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 bearing one another's burdens, you're doing what Christ has done. You're following his footsteps. Paul's friend Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about Jesus. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Peter says, this is what Jesus did. He took all of your sin, all of the heavy boulders that fall on you, some that you created, some that you didn't. All of that stuff comes all together. Jesus bears that for us on the cross. And so in, in us fulfilling the pattern of that, following in his footsteps, doing as Jesus does, here's what we do. We bear burdens with one another. We carry the heavy stuff and, and, and help each other. Now, how do we do that? How do we bear burdens as a church? Let me give you one example, and I've got lots of them from this past semester of small groups at Area 10 in the fall, but there's one here that I, that I, I reached out. Um, Brandon Covey goes to Area 10, and he uh, got, got hit with this rare infection disease, uh, and he was, he was out for a while, and um, it actually caused this vertigo thing. He was blind for a while. He was in the hospital for many days, and a, a ton of people in the community of faith came around him, and I want you to hear him tell his story of what happened. Uh, this is Brandon's email. He says this. He said, now that I'm recovered from my illness, I'd like to chime in as to how this event has changed my life. It has strengthened me, my relationship with my wife, my friendships, and my relationship with God. You taught a series on rewriting our future. That's a series we did last summer. I prayed over this for weeks and felt as though God was asleep in my life. Then, boom, I'm struck with a virus that hits one in a hundred million people. It took my ability to stand on my own, my eyesight, and my ability to function in most any capacity. I fully, for the first time in my life, had to surrender myself to God. I went through some dark patches. One minute I was grateful to be alive, and the next I was angry with God that it was my family that was impacted. There were a couple key things that got me through this. One was my A10 community. Patrick spent the night with me in the hospital under the worst conditions and led me through a difficult night showing compassion and easing my fear. 
He also drove me to MCV on a work day to deliver a special ornament to a 17-year-old boy for his Christmas tree. He was in a tragic accident and was paralyzed. I felt compelled to go see this boy. As he said, the accident restored his faith in God. I wanted to give him hope that he too one day would walk again as a walking testimony. Patrick never hesitated as he guided me around MCV Hospital. Some of the others that came around me were Tommy, who lifted me up with scripture, song, a long walk for me at the time down to the VMFA just to sit. He also gave me a book that he mentioned helped him during his darkest moments for me to read. Sam drove me to Carytown to Christmas shop for my family when I couldn't drive and came over to the house just to sit with me so that I wouldn't have to be alone. Amy brought dinners over for us so that it would take stress off of my wife as she was having to balance work, my healing, and our three-year-old. The other key thing that got me through this was faith that God was in the midst of rewriting my future. My favorite thing to say to myself is, he broke my body to restore my heart. My time away from the corporate world has helped me not only to heal physically and mentally, but has given me a new sense of purpose and hope for a brighter future. One with a childlike heart that chooses love over fear. One that recognizes each breath as a gift. A life with more compassion for those that are bound by various physical and mental limitations is my hope that I will see people going forward the way Jesus saw them. Again, a big thanks to Area 10, Patrick, Sam, Amy, Tommy, Paul, and all of the others that loved beyond reason. I don't know how that sits with you when, when you hear that. But for me, I think of how cynical our culture is. And I think about how cynical our culture is about the church and about the evangelical church and Christians and, and all of the articles you read about how lame it is and how it's no good and it's terrible for people and all of this stuff. And, I, you know, I see the people post the stuff and I, I read some of the stuff. But then I think of a story like this and something that happened here in this church, and then there's others from this past fall, and I see that, and I go, man, that's not, that's not on the stage. People don't know about that unless I was to stand up here and tell you. But this kind of stuff happens in our church. This stuff happens in the community. And I think, man, for, for all of its faults and, and failures and the way we blow it, there's good that happens here. And, and God is at work here in the hearts and minds of people. And people are stepping up and carrying each other's burdens. And I think that's what a church is supposed to be. The third benefit from investing in a community, a biblical community, is this. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Well, thanks for that, Paul. That's interesting. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. Ver, uh, here's the third return I think you get on your investment in, in a community. You learn to think better about yourself and others. I don't mean like you learn to think you're awesome. I don't mean that. I mean you learn to think more rightly about yourself and about other people when you're involved in a, a community. Most of our lives are just kind of lived in our heads. So the way you think matters. And, uh, and diagramming and diagnosing your thinking is a huge, important thing. I did some messages on it back in June, teach a class on it in transformation. This is a hugely important thing. We need to think through how we, we, we think. What do we believe about our lives, about our meaning, about our purpose? Our thinking matters. And thinking rightly about those things is extremely valuable. And this is where it's valuable to be in a biblical community. Be in a community where people are trying to learn about God and learn from God. When we have small groups that gather in this church, people gather in people's homes throughout the week, and when they get together, they read and they pray, and, and, and they, they get to know each other, and they eat food, and they laugh, and they have, you know, connect. 
Um, and then there's all the things that go on outside the group, like from the email I just shared you that are part of that community. Um, and there's just a lot of value there. There's value that people will open the Bible, an old, you know, what could be considered an old dusty book in our culture. They'll open it up and go, what does God have for me here? What can I learn? Where can I grow? There's tremendous value in that. To be around other people who are thinking through some of that stuff. Have you ever heard the phrase, you need to think for yourself? Oh, you just need to think for yourself. I read this really great book last month by Alan Jacobs called How to Think. I thought, man, I'm in my 40s. I should probably know this. I should, I should pick this book up. Book How to Think. And he, and he, he brings up a great point in the book. And he says, um, there's no such thing as learning to think for yourself. That's not actually how thinking works. He says, all thinking is social thinking. And when people say, you need to think for yourself, often they're talking to religious people or people a part of some group or club or whatever, educational institution or whatever, and they're saying, oh, you're just like all those other people over there. You need to stop listening to what your priest tells you, what your rabbi tells you, whatever. You need to just think for yourself. That's what people say. But really, as Jacobs points out in the book, really when people say that, here's what they mean. You need to not think like that group of people. You need to think like me and this other group of people. Because all thinking is social thinking. We're formed in communities. I read an article that said when you're 18 years old, your political views primarily are shaped by your parents. Your parents' political views are yours when you're 18. When you're 35, your political views are primarily shaped by the community that you associate with and that you live in. This is why you can look at voting and say, people in rural counties vote this way, people in the heart of the city vote this way, people in the suburbs vote this way. What is that? Is it just people who all decide to vote the same thing happen to live near each other? No, we are shaped by the communities that we put ourselves in. It changes your thinking. And the article also said by the time you're 50, you're primarily shaped by your spouse if you're married. How about that, right? It's pretty wild too, right? Our thinking is not, oh, just go think on it on your own and come to your conclusions. No, our thinking is, is social. That's, that's the way it works. And Paul says, hey, look, you in the community, if you think too much of yourself, like, you need to not think more highly of yourself. What is he saying? Like, you need to get your thinking right as you get into the community. You need to remember that you're not a big deal. Christians of all people should be able to say this. The true identity of someone who's a follower of Christ, who's given their life to Christ, is like this. You say, look, I'm worse than I thought, and I'm more loved than I could possibly imagine. That is our, the truth about humanity. That is the truth of us. You are worse than you think. You, you have an incredible capacity to fool yourself. You are worse than you think. You are more sinful than you think. And you are more loved than you could possibly imagine. And we say, man, because I'm in Christ, I am redeemed. He has, he has loved me that much, knowing all of my flaws. And the reason you get into a community, in a small group, whatever, is you get to be around other people that will help you and remind you of who you are and help you, and help you think differently about the situations that you find yourself in. There's, there's tremendous value in getting perspective. So a, a, a good community, a small group can, can help you, challenge you when you wander off. It can help you carry your burdens and it can help you think better. It doesn't mean that you're gonna agree with everybody on everything when you're in a small group. There are people in this church all over the political spectrum, social spectrum, um, and, and instead of going into our own corners where we never see each other or talk anymore, we say get in groups together and, and start to love you're not going to be like-minded about everything, but be like-hearted. Love Christ. Follow after God, and, and let's walk on this journey, this, this journey together.
Those are some of the great returns that you can get on, on, on your investment here. I have people in my life. I have staff who, who, who can help me and, and challenge me. I have elders uh, in this church who walk with me and, and, and challenge me and help me to keep perspective. And sometimes they're like, Chris, you're killing it. You're doing such a good job. And other times they're like, Chris, you're blowing it. My wife is good for this too. Um, in, in, in a lot of ways, I remember one time I came home from preaching on a Sunday morning. I was feeling really good. I was like, you know, like, you know, I'm not, I felt like, hey, I did a good job today. Like, I communicated what I wanted to communicate, and I did it well. I don't feel that way all the time. Sometimes you just feel good. I come home, and I'm feeling good. And my wife's being all kind of quiet after I preach, you know. I'm like, you're supposed to say something right now, like, whatever. And uh, she finally speaks up, and she goes, so what did you think of that sermon you preached today? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, uh, apparently I thought the wrong thing about it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. No, is that not, is that, are we not, it wasn't a good. So it was just really, uh, it was challenging to me and, and also valuable to, to see things in a different way and to not think of myself more highly than, than, I, than I ought to. Um, these are some of the returns we get of being in relationship and, and being in the community. Um, and and it's, it's powerful. Now the reality is those returns that you'll get you're not going to get unless you invest. It's going to be where you pour out, you're going to see something come back to you. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says this, and continuing on the rest of the, like six more verses there, he says this, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever, listen to this, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, a couple things here. Number one, Paul says you need to bear each other's burdens, right? We just read that, carry that load. And then he says, each of you should carry your own load. And I'm like, Paul, did you not read what you just said like three verses ago? Like, you just said we're supposed to, and now you're saying we're not supposed to. Like, what, what does this mean? Well, they're different words. Bury, bear each other's burdens like the boulder falls on you. Yes, you're supposed to do that. Carrying your load, what he's talking about, is more like your day-to-day, like your daily responsibilities. He's saying, look, you need to handle your own business. But when it gets overwhelming, you reach out and have others help you. And we get stuck there. We go to like weird extremes. People are like, I don't want to burden you with my stuff. I'm not going to unload any of my burdens on you. Which kind of stinks if I'm your friend and you won't unload anything. That's not, that's not great for me. You ever, have you ever heard that it's more blessed to give than receive? So how come you're the one who's always giving? How come you hogging the blessing over there? How come you won't allow anybody to give to you? That's not helpful. That's robbing me of the joy of serving you. So why don't you share when the boulder falls on you? Why don't you not pretend that it's not actually happening and share that? And then also, some people, you know, it's all boulders all the time. Everything's, you know, and it's like, whoa, you're supposed to carry your daily thing as well, though. And so they kind of go to that that other other extreme. Um, 
But the second thing I want you to notice in that section there is the idea of reaping and sowing, which is really the concept that undergirds this entire series. What you put out there is what you get back. So if you're unwilling to invest, don't expect a return. This is true in agriculture. If you sow seed, it's gonna grow, things are going to grow. If you don't sow seed, things will not grow. It's pretty, pretty obvious, but it's also true in so many things in life. If you're going to get something out of it, you're going to need to pour something into it. You're going to have to invest your time, your money, your energy if you want to see it come back to you. And this is why we challenge people to get in small groups. The small group sign up this start this weekend. Laura's going to be up here in a minute. She'll tell you more about how that works. But these small group signups are a chance for you to get in a group and get to know some other folks. It's not going to be perfect. It will be messy at times, but you're going to have to invest. You're going to have to say, I'm going to sign up and show up. I'm going to be part of the group. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to get to know folks. Um, that's an investment on your part to be there consistently. When I know there's lots of distractions, lots of other things you, you could be doing. Um, you're going to have to put yourself out there and invest. And that'll, be, and that'll be challenging at times. But I don't want us to be the people who sign up and don't show up, right? Like, listen, you're not going to get a great return if you join the gym on a year contract and only show up for six weeks. Not that anyone in this room has ever done that, but other people do that. And, and, and let's not do that here either and say, well, I'm kind of in. No, jump in and, and get to know because if you stick with it, that's where the return comes on the investment. I don't know about you, I, I don't need 50 close friends. And I'm a pretty extroverted guy. I don't need 1,600 acquaintances online or something like that. I need a couple friends. I need a couple people that will walk beside me when a boulder falls on me and that I can walk beside when a boulder falls on them. Because we're, we're stronger, we're better when we do it together. Change lives, committed leaders, community impact, the things that we build towards in this church, the things that we want to see, these things are going to happen in, in relationships, in community. The small groups that we have that run here at the church, they're, they're at the heart of that stuff. So sign up. Um, I don't want you to miss out. Commit to being part of a group and invest there. Get to know others. Let them get to know you. And I, and I truly believe you'll see a, a tremendous return on that investment. Let's pray. Lord, I know we have all sorts of reasons why we would, we would want to throw reasons or excuses to say, like, oh, I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to get to know people, or I don't, I, maybe those people are weird, and I'm afraid they're going to be too whatever. Um, but God, help us to just push through anyway, get to know each other, to love each other, to not just see each other behind the wheel of a car or behind a keyboard, but to see each other in the flesh um, as real people with real struggles. Um, help us to walk uh, this life together and, and not go off into our own silos because of our own pride or our own hurt or whatever to get into a shell. Um, God, I, I pray your spirit is at work in this community, breaking down barriers and helping us to love one another and love this city even more. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.